Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You have keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You got fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online masters of social work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard. Uh, good news over the weekend as uh, Dogpile debuted at number five on the Mississippi bestsellers list, which is a great start considering that we were in limited distribution uh, the previous week. How that works is it's reported, you know, like on Sunday and then it carries over to the next Sunday. So it's like a week lag. So we were just only in a handful of stores. Uh, prior to these sales numbers being reported, well, since that time, you know, we have um, delivered books to several other stores, and so we expect to be number one next week. How cool would that be? Expected to be number one next week. Had a great, great week of signings. Had the best signing I've ever had at the Bulldog Shop downtown in Meridian. They still have signed books. Matter of fact, they've got all four of my sports books there. Got to get them some poetry books. Had the best signing I've ever had at Turnrow Books in Greenwood. Had the best signing I've ever had at Lemuria Books in Jackson. Had the best signing I ever had at Persnickety in Madison. And so 
it's uh, you guys are doing great, man. And uh, so many of you have already gotten your books. There are a handful that have not. And I, I did some checking on that today. The first thing that I can tell you is if you have ordered a book, it has been shipped. Okay, that that is I can confirm that to be true. Now, there were a handful of orders that were still um, lagging for technical reasons or addressing issues. Uh, I was actually there with the publisher uh, Saturday evening, watched the ball game there in uh, in Madison and reviewed those orders. And there's only a handful. Those have all been mailed out too. So if you get if you get an order and you got a hand addressed mailing label, you were one of the ones they had some technical issues with. But rest assured, it's all in the mail. I've had a handful of people that have reached out to me and say, hey, Steve, can you help me? Uh, I will put you in contact with the people that can help you maybe get your tracking number. But the best way to do that, to kind of eliminate the middleman, because I do get busy, and it's not that I don't love you. It's just that sometimes you may message me, and I may not check my phone for a few hours, is go to the dogpilethebook.com website and fill the form out and just contact them. They'll get back with you. But just be patient. I mean, when you have thousands and thousands of orders, there's going to be a few delays. And unfortunately for some of you, that's you. Uh, But yeah, they're getting taken care of. And I was given assurance today, as of this morning, there are no orders that are pending shipment. And that includes anything that was purchased over the weekend. There may be one or two that needed to be some personalization. And I'll take care of that tomorrow because I'll be back in the the area. I'm going to be at at either the Y'all Lifestyle Shop or Bowbound Studio. I'll let you know on social media, but I'll be signing books down in the Ridgeland, Madison area. Got a few other things we're working on, uh, as you guys are well aware. Thursday, this Thursday, I will be signing at Gumtree Books at Reeds and Tupelo. Uh, they've got a few hundred books, so they're ready to roll. They're ready for you guys to come out and buy those. We've always had a great retail presence there at Barnes & Noble. We've increased that now with Reeds. Very, very happy to have them. Uh, on board it's pretty awesome and uh, i'm going to run a few things down for you before we kind of get deeper into the show Uh, but just to kind of give you some particulars on the signing this thursday that is three to six three to six that is reed's gum tree thursday february 17th in tupelo three to six and tomorrow with bo will be uh three to five and then this weekend i will be uh, in Starkville prior to the ball game. So on Friday, I'll be Bookmart and Cafe. I think that's 11 to 1.30 or maybe 10.30 to 1.30. And then on Saturday, I'll be at Campus Bookmart. I'll leave there about an hour, hour and a half uh, prior to first pitch. That's 10 to 12.30. And then next Thursday, Friendly City Books uh, there in Columbus for the first time. That's 3 to 5. And then the next Saturday, I'm actually going to have to miss a baseball game, will be February 26, Barnes & Noble there in Ridgeland. So we're off to a big start. Uh, things are going well. And uh, I want, let me give you guys about this on-ordering thing too. So I have had a couple of people that have reached out to me and said, hey, I haven't got my books. And then they went and looked and they don't have an order. Now, I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but there are a couple of people, <clears throat> there was a problem with your credit card. So you'll need to get that corrected and then reorder, and they'll get that right out to you. You won't have to wait. You go ahead and get it ordered. Uh, chances are to get it back into you the mail uh, the next day. And so there are a couple people out there. I've contacted one of them. The other one hadn't responded yet. There have been uh, some issues. But the best thing to do 
is to go to the dogpilethebook.com website, contact them. Uh, they will email you back. If you contact me, then I got to contact them. So let's just eliminate the middleman and go directly to them. And of course, if you know if you continue to have problems, which you shouldn't, uh, you can you know get get me involved or whatever. But uh, the best thing for you to do is go directly to the source. Again, that's dogpilethebook.com. And if you need to get a book ordered, we'll certainly get it taken care of for you. But again, it's available just about everywhere now. Just off the top of my head, I was thinking, uh, you know, we're in uh, Lorelei Books there in Vicksburg. If you are a Warren County dog, run by there and get those books and support that great local bookstore. And of course, uh, Lemuria Books in Jackson, Barnes & Noble also there. The Y'all Lifestyle Store is going to have them uh, there in Ridgeville and a few other places out there. Starville, of course, it's everywhere. Uh, the Lodge, Bookmart and Cafe, Campus Bookmart, Liza Tai, Maroon and Company, uh, pretty much everywhere Mississippi State merch is sold. University uh, Printing, right next door to the Lodge, uh, they have it. There's just a lot of people that have it, to say the least. And then, uh, of course, Turnrow Books there in Greenwood. Just about any great bookstore in the state of Mississippi has it, with few exceptions. And there are a few other ones that we're going to be uh, delivering to sooner rather than later and of course as always go to dogpiledbook.com but if you don't want to order online let me encourage you always support a local independent bookstore whether you're in mississippi or not uh, they can get it for you they can absolutely get it for you all right let's thank our good friends at bulldog burger company you talk about getting it for you that's them they'll take care of you a lot of places you go and you're not sure what to expect that's just not the case at bulldog burger company you can expect consistency and quality in every experience. I've never had a negative experience in Bulldog Burger Company, and I don't think it's because I'm fortunate. I think it's because they do such a quality job there at Bulldog Burger Company. I had somebody tell me they stopped to get Bulldog Burger Company on their way to a signing. They didn't get the spring rolls, and it showed. It showed. It really did. It really did. Really, really did. Uh, So I say that with as much love in my heart as I can. Make the world a more beautiful place. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everyone around you better looking. And we all need more of that. Visit them at one of their three great locations, University Drive right here in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and then the brand new one, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridgeland Flowood area. I had some friends tell me that every time they go, it's a great experience, but every time they go, it's busy. Busy is good in the restaurant business because you got a great manager down there, Ian Few, kind of running the shop. That guy knows what's going on. Have a great dining experience at Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right, a lot to talk about today. It's a packed show. A couple of you reached out and said, hey, Steve, you didn't do the SEC West baseball preview on Friday. We're going to do it today. How about that? We'll do it today. I love talking baseball. It was a busy day, and I had to get out of here. So today I've got a little more time to spend with you. But uh, So that's the last segment of the show, the SEC West uh, baseball preview. But the top story... Mississippi State women beat Ole Miss. That's a big game. And it's not just because of the fact that it is Ole Miss. And, and I'll venture, there's some people, too, on social media. And, guys, I love y'all to death. I do. I think some of you are a little bit misguided. But here's the deal. I don't care if we line up and play Ole Miss in Chinese checkers. I don't care if a couple of kids out there have a state and Ole Miss T-shirt on and uh, they're playing jacks. Okay, I'm rooting for the kid in the maroon. Okay, if it's not a big deal that we beat Ole Miss in something, are you really even a state fan? I mean, honestly, seriously, when when has that not been a big deal? Okay, we beat Ole Miss in anything. It's a big deal. 
A lot of people don't even pay attention to volleyball, but you'll retweet that result when State beats Ole Miss in volleyball. Same thing in softball. So, yeah, it's a big win. But more importantly, bigger than the rivalry, it's a quad one win for Doug Novak and the ladies, who are now 6-5 and five in the SEC. It was the best basketball game the Mississippi State had women played on both ends of the floor from start to finish. It never really felt like Ole Miss had any – traction in the ball game maybe the first 10 points or so it's like hey maybe you'll be back and forth thing the next thing you know state stretches a lead out and Ole Miss never truly threatened the rest of the way great job by everybody involved so let's run it back is your ladies are now 15 and 8 and they were projected to be in the tournament when the newest projections come out I think you're going to see a Quite an advancement there. And listen, I'm not going to sit here and, and shoot shots at the Ole Miss women's program. They're having a great season. They really are. Very talented team. I know one of the things a lot of folks like to do when State wins a ball game, where it's like we want to diminish the opponent, it's the quality Ole Miss team at State beat. And, and if you need evidence of that, go back and look how they handled us up in Oxford. I got a lot of respect for them. Um, I didn't care so much for the comments from the coach. Listen, I respect confidence. I do. But here's the deal. You know, if you go out there and you throw some rocks, you better hit your target. If not, they're going to get thrown right back at you, and that's what happened. And all the players that went to post games, so they remember those quotes as well they should. So it's a 70-59 result. Let's take a look at it. Let's break it down a little bit here. All right, so after one quarter, it's 16-12 to 12 state. That second quarter, we got some real separation. Uh, some real separation, had a 19-10 to 10 quarter push a lead out to 11. And we had some opportunities to really lay a haymaker or two, and we didn't. But I didn't think the moment was ever too big for us. I think there were some moments within the ball game that perhaps our shot selection wasn't great. But we were beating them off the drive with such great regularity. It just Every time that they would come out in pressure, our guards were so speedy. We would catch them out of position. We would get to the rim. We would finish. That's the difference in the ballgame. Points in the paint, beating their press. And I thought Doug did a great job, and I'm not going to take a shot at the the men because it seems like every time somebody runs pressure at us, it's the first time we've ever seen it. I thought our women handled the Ole Miss press with ease, and that really made a difference in this ballgame. We were a little bit overwhelmed when we played them the first time. Not this time. Uh, We were ready to go. So let's look at this kind of this decisive run here in the second quarter. Uh, State comes out, and we, we met, actually Maya Taylor misses a jumper and a great offensive rebound by Charlotte Cole, who played well, later fouled out in the ballgame, leaving us with just six eligible players to play. But I thought Charlotte Cole gave some good minutes. I thought she did a really good job on the glass. And even when she couldn't get there, she would keep the ball alive, and then another player would get a rebound. Then Ace Hayes, the artist formerly known as Anastasia Hayes, knocks down a jumper to put State up six. The lead kind of goes back and forth a little bit there. And the next thing you know, Maya Taylor drives and finishes to put State up eight. The lead swells to 10, just over six minutes. And it's another Maya Taylor acrobatic uh, shot there in the paint. And from there, it seems like State really just kind of maintained control the rest of the ballgame. Ace Hayes was the layup to push it back out to 10. Uh, The lead got to as high as 13. Or Jaquelia Jordan knocked down a couple of uh, free throws to push it out to 33-20 with three minutes to go. And, again, we had some chances there 
even after that, to knock them down. We, we had back-to-back empty possessions. Affley Jones misses a three, and then Maya Taylor misses in the paint. Look, there was some contact there, but she missed. And then next thing you know, Affley Jones gets a steal, and we lay it up. A great, 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 great basket in transition. You get a steal. You throw it up to ace. Next thing you know, it's basically a tip pass uh, uh, from Jaquelia Jordan to Ace Hayes up and in to make it a 15-point lead. I think at that point, people in the Humphrey Coliseum feel like, you know what, this is our day. We had a couple of bank-in three-pointers that kind of made it feel like that way too. Uh, a little bit later, again, we, we have a 13-point lead with a minute 40 to go. We have some other empty possessions. We miss a three. Bree Thompson misses that. We miss a jumper, missing the jumper. So even as great as things were, even with a 13-point lead, I think we all look at this and realize, despite that, we had a chance to, to really have a more substantial lead at the break. Come out in the second half, and again, right back to work, immediately right back to work, do a great job against Madison Scott on the defensive end. We take it back up to 15 points. Again, Anastasia Hayes just making things happen for the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Back up to 15 again with an Anastasia Hayes jumper uh, with just under seven minutes to play there in the third quarter. And the lead essentially remained double digits throughout the quarter. And so we head to the fourth quarter, 53-40. We end that quarter with a steal by Charlotte Cole. I mean, just a great job. She takes it away from Shakira Austin, who was a tremendous basketball player. But again, it's, you know, you other people stepping up. When you have seven players... You can't hide on the bench. Everybody's got to get out there and fight. And if you weren't embarrassed about what happened in Oxford the first time, I kind of question your level of competitiveness. If, if you're going to let a coach sit there and say, hey, we're the better team, we know this, and we're going to do the same thing we go to Starkville, and if that doesn't motivate you to go out there and punch somebody in the mouth, I would submit to you you got no business being a Division One athlete. And our ladies showed that they do. They did take it personal as well they should. Ole Miss cuts it to 11, and then there it is, Bree Thompson knocking down a three to kind of give us some breathing room. I think at that point we really all begin to kind of say, yeah, good luck, Lady Rebs, good luck. Uh, Ole Miss cuts it to 10, and then what do we do? Maya Taylor bombs a three to push it right back out to 13. The lead then goes as high as 17 points with 419 to play. And again, it's Bree Thompson drawing a three, and it's 63-46, and the party was set to begin in Stark Vegas. Ole Miss didn't quit, though, to give them credit. They just never could uh, really gain any ground. It basically became, you know, kind of trading some baskets here and there. And every time that they would make a point, you know, make a basket, and you feel like, okay, they're about to make a run, State would answer with a big basket. And I don't know that any was bigger than the big three uh, from, from uh, Aislinn Hayes. With just over two minutes to play, Ole Miss had cut it to 13. We drop another bomb on them just to kind of say, you know what, just in case you were thinking this is going to end differently, you're wrong. 16 points. And from there, it's just basically boiled down to Ole Miss kind of playing desperation basketball. State actually didn't hit the free throws as well as we'd hoped. And, um, yeah, but the reality of it is it didn't matter. And then, you know, Ole Miss makes a late basket, you know, to cut it to 70-59. And that's the end. That's a ball game. So let's look at some numbers here. Let's look at some team numbers here. Shakira Austin from Ole Miss, a good ball game for her. For some reason, they had her kind of working as a decoy early in the ball game, and I think they needed her down low defensively, and I think State took full advantage. Good job by Novak and the staff 
kind of exploiting that, getting to the rim and finishing. Uh, but Shakira Austin, 36 minutes of action, 8 of 10 from the free throw line, 6 of 12 from the floor, pulled down 14 rebounds, 12 of those on the defensive end. And again, we, we are absolutely, absolutely outmanned or outladied, whatever term you'd like to use. It's a complete mismatch with us and Shakira Austin. Uh, 6'5 for her, and we had one player above six feet tall. 20 points for her. One other double-digit score for the uh, Lady Rebs is Angel Baker, who played 30 minutes, uh, 21 points for her. But as a team, 14 of 20 from the free throw line, they shot 22 of 57 for 38.6%. And just one of 11 from three. One of 11. Angel Baker had the one connection there. Good job of getting out and defending. Technical fouls, none for either team. Ole Miss with 32 points in the paint. And a lot of those came late when, you know, Shakira Austin, they're like, hey, we're going to ride our, our all-SEC candidate here, our, our WNBA player, and let her make some plays for us. Uh, 15 points off turnovers for Ole Miss, 13 second chance points, 15 in a fast break, 21 off the bench. Uh, the score was tied three times, the lead changed seven. And, of course, all of that in the early going. Uh, looking at uh, the, the Mississippi State women's side of things, the Lady Bulldogs shot 49.1%, 50% from three. That'll win right there. That'll win. Seven of 14 from beyond the arc, and then 65% at the free throw line. And some of those misses came late. It's 11 of 17 from the line. Really good effort for the most part throughout the ballgame. Again, we missed some free throws late that kind of uh, made a difference, and that may catch up with us a little bit later. Uh, but the reality of it is, is there, you know, the age-old question is how many Bulldogs does it take to beat the Rebels? Well, apparently just seven. Apparently just seven. And what a great effort that it was, uh, you know, from the ladies. Ashley Jones uh, did not score a basket but was outstanding defensively. Uh, just three attempts from the floor, pulled down a rebound, had one personal foul and a steal. But it seemed like every time State needed somebody to get out there in transition and kind of slow the old Miss uh, progress down. Uh, they were able to do that. Uh, Aislin Hayes, I guess she's ace now. I get, I get confused sometimes. There's so many Hayes sisters, and God bless them all. Um, Aislin Hayes, 24 minutes of action with six points, a couple big baskets, and a three. Charlotte Cole, a fan favorite, 23 minutes of action, did not score, pulled down five rebounds, and eventually fouled out. And we thought a couple of those fouls were a little bit cheap. And there were some times on both ends where the officials got a little whistle happy. But Charlotte Cole did a great job really just kind of being a wall there in the post. I thought she gave Austin some real trouble kind of denying her position down low. Uh, Kateria Thompson, 37 minutes of action, two of seven from the field. Both of those were threes, pulled down four rebounds, committed a couple personal fouls. And that's the thing, too. I thought State did a great job of defending without fouling. When you only have seven players, you can't afford to get too loose and fast. And Charlotte Cole played a physical brand of basketball. Uh, and when we went down to six players, I, the, the game at that point was essentially decided. Uh, so good effort from her, for, to say the least. And, of course, Kateri Thompson, uh, the six points there. Maya Taylor, it's her team. It absolutely is. And uh, what a great job she's done. It had been so easy for her to hit the portal. It would have been. She'd have had offers from all over the country. One of the top prospects the state of Mississippi has seen in a long time, probably since Victoria Vivian's. Maya Tudor was outstanding in high school. 
if she decided, you know what, this isn't what I signed up for because there's we got some fans out there that love to blame Mississippi State. We want to excuse these people to transfer. And listen, I, I don't begrudge anybody. You got to make what decisions you make for yourself. It's got to be what you can live with. But there are some people out there that just want to absolutely find a way to blame Mississippi State. First, oh, well, well, this isn't what they signed on for. You think this is what Maya Taylor signed on for? She had more offers than all those players combined, with the exception of one or two. It's like, oh, well, they go in the portal, you know. But Okay, so if we're going to praise them for doing what they feel is best for them, why don't we praise Maya Taylor for doing what she thought was best for her, and that was staying at Mississippi State. How about that? You know, we're so quick to get out here with our hot takes and go against the grain. You know, instead of, instead of defending these players that have abandoned our program, why don't we praise the one that didn't? Why don't we praise the one that had a chance to go anywhere in the country and said, you know what, I want to stay here close to home. And even though that I'm playing for my third head coach in three years, I'm a bulldog. And I'm going to stay a bulldog. And so that's what I'm going to focus on. I would rather praise Maya Taylor over 100 players that transferred out of Mississippi State regardless of sport. Because I can assure you if she goes in the portal, she's going to have people beating down her door. So it's not like she's here by default. She's here by choice. So again, rather than defend these people that have left us, they've abandoned. So if they've left Mississippi State, they've left you too. It can't be, well, we're family. And then when they leave, okay, we're going to side with the person that left. You know, here's my attitude. Hey, good luck. I don't care if they ever play again. It makes no difference to me. My focus is on Mississippi State. You know, listen, I don't wish any ill will on anybody that ever leaves, but it is amazing to me. Like, I, I read some of these things on social media, and it's, like, it's almost kind of creepy. It's like we have these updates on how the former players have done somewhere else. I, I think I speak for most of the fan base when I say, I don't care. I, I, I don't care. You know, once they leave our program – I no longer have any loyalty to them. I don't have any bitterness towards them. But I don't need a week-to-week update on how a former player is doing. It's like, hey, well, so-and-so left, and they're, they're doing this. You know, well, cool. I wish they had stayed too, but they didn't. They chose to leave. So my loyalty, as little as that means to somebody like that, ended the day they left campus. And again, that's not that I wish them, you know, negativity in their life. I just don't care what happens. I want them to get their degree, meet the love of their life, have a great life, be successful in whatever they choose to do in their vocation. But I'm not emotionally invested in what happens to them anymore. I am emotionally invested in Maya Taylor because she's wearing the Mississippi State uniform. She's out there representing me and you and this university. So why, why are we not making a bigger deal out of that? I can't believe so-and-so left. I can't believe she stayed. Says a lot about her character and a lot about her commitment to Mississippi State and a lot about her word and a lot about what she thinks about Mississippi State and about this program and that she understands what commitment means. And I have said many times on this show, you only get a short time in life to play ball. I get it. If you're not playing here, you probably should be somewhere else. I understand. I do. It's not like a job. You got your whole life to work. You don't have your whole life to play ball. 
So if you're leaving for other, for playing time, that's cool. You need a fresh start in life, that's cool. But if we're going to go out and, you know, basically crown these people, you know, as being so, you know, self-aware and, and evolved and everything else, do you think Maya Taylor is here by default? You're kidding yourself. Maya Taylor is the most valuable player on this team, and I don't care what statistical categories show. I don't care what the box scores show. Maya Taylor is true maroon, and she deserves, even though we have not had the -the on-the-court performance that some of these other players have had, Maya Taylor deserves to be mentioned in the same breath as the Victoria Vivians and the Tierra McCowans and the Blair Schaefer's, all of those players. She deserves to be mentioned in the same conversation. She is on that level. Now, she didn't have the supporting cast around her that they did. But the reality of it is, is she was probably, outside of Victoria Vivians, probably the highest rated or highest coveted player among that group. And she chose Mississippi State, and she stayed with Mississippi State, and she deserves our utmost respect. Jacalia Jordan with a nice game, too, 20 minutes for her. Excuse me, 35 minutes, 20 points for her. 7 of 13 from the floor, 2 of 2 from 3, 4 of 5 from the line, 3 rebounds, uh, 3 fouls. But it was Anastasia Hayes, which brings us to a new segment on the show. Anastasia Hayes is your player of the game. She is your premium shrimp player of the game. And we're going to get to that a little bit more, but let me talk a little bit about uh, premium shrimp. Oh, my goodness, prime shrimp. I wrote it down wrong. Prime Shrimp, player of the game. You guys know this. I lived in Louisiana for a long time. I was born in Canton, Mississippi, raised in Columbia. I bounced around like many a lot, of, a lot of young adults do until you kind of find your way in life. Found myself in Louisiana and became quite a fan of Cajun cuisine down there in uh, South Louisiana. Spent some time in Natchitoches, lived in Lafayette, lived in Baton Rouge. And here's what happened when I moved back to Mississippi – I couldn't find a lot of great quality seafood. I mean, when you get used to, to eating, you know, crawfish etouffee, shrimp gumbo. I mean, you got all this stuff out there that you're, you're kind of used to eating, especially on Fridays, right? And I get up here, and it's like, it's like, hey, the seafood's really great here. And I went, and it was just okay. So I kind of missed that aspect of living in South Louisiana. And so I found these wonderful people at Prime Shrimp out of Heron Hand, Louisiana. Right out there in the River Parishes. So we're talking, you know, New Orleans-based shrimp here. Easy to cook, no mess or prep. You just drop the pouch right into the pot. It's pretty incredible. You know, it's like a lot of times you get shrimp, you got to get to vein them, you got to peel them, everything else. Nope, not with prime shrimp. It's shrimp, it's shipped directly to your door. It's cooked in less than 10 minutes. How cool is that? You can have a great Cajun meal and 10, 10 minutes are just over that. Currently, signature seasoned in French Quarter Alfredo flavors are available. And it's always money-back guarantee. And any order over four pounds of shrimp, free shipping on that. How about that? So here's what we're going to do. Because this is a new segment, uh, you guys are going to get an opportunity to work with these guys. Here's what we're going to do. Go to Prime Shrimp. That's order at primeshrimp.com. Get it sent directly to your door. Use this week's promo code boneyard and you'll get 50 percent off how about that 50 percent off your first purchase try it today with a risk-free purchase if you don't love it you can have your money back 
So it's risk-free. And these, listen, this is not some fly-by-night company. Prime Shrimp has been around, P1 Shrimp in New Orleans, since the 1940s. Proud to debut this exciting new product for you to serve restaurant-quality shrimp at your home in under 10 minutes with none of the usual fuss of cooking shrimp. Outstanding. Again, that's primeshrimp.com, promo code BONEYARD to get 50% off your first purchase. So we're going to kick that thing off with a bang. Yeah, so your player of the game, Anastasia Hayes. The prime shrimp player of the game, Anastasia Hayes. 35 minutes of action, 8 of 13 from the field. No three-pointers, 5 of 6 in the free throw line. Pulled down four rebounds, just one foul. You can play 35 minutes in a physical game like that and commit one foul, you're doing a good job. Uh, 21 points for her. An outstanding effort, uh, to say the least, uh, which uh, led Mississippi State in scoring. All right, so what's next for the ladies? What's going to be a pretty uh, rapid turnaround for them as we get ready to travel. Matter of fact, today is a travel day for the ladies. They will head to Lexington, Kentucky. And listen, we have taken some great teams in elections and have come home with a loss. That game is tomorrow night, 5 p.m. in Lexington, Kentucky. If you're in the area, maybe you can get off work early and go support the ladies. That's going to be an SEC Network Plus broadcast, 5 p.m. tip, local time. I guess that's Stark Vegas time, 5 p.m. Starkville. The next ball game will be back at Humphrey Coliseum on Thursday against LSU. That's a 6 p.m. tip, also SEC Network Plus. On Sunday, that's right, three games in less than a week's time. We're going to travel to Columbia, Missouri uh, for a 2 p.m. tip. That's also an SEC Network Plus broadcast. And we'll close out the regular season with a road trip to Knoxville and then a home game senior night against Arkansas as on February 27. So we're down to the nitty-gritty now. Just a handful of games left, just five games left in the regular season. Let's take a quick look at the SEC uh, women's standings. And I'm eager to see what the uh, what the projections look like. Charlie Cream is the best. I mean, the guy, he's usually 100%. So when Charlie says something, to me, it even has more credibility than what Lenardi says. Charlie, I don't know if he has a great source on the committee or whatever, but he always seems to have a – finger on the pulse of how this NCAA women's field is going to look. So let's take a quick look at the standings and kind of see where the ladies stack up. Really, really big win yesterday. Again, not just because it's Ole Miss, but because of the fact that Ole Miss has had a great year, and that was a Tier 1 win for the uh, Lady Bulldogs. So we were already in the field. Now we've taken a solid step forward, and that's the thing you look at. You find a way now you know, to win the games you should, you got a chance to really play your way into some decent seating. We're not going to host, okay, but with these five games, I mean, you look at these, okay, two of those five are at home. The LSU game here is going to be a tough one. You know, Kim Mulkey's coming in. I don't know if you know that's Kramer Robertson's mom, right, to play at LSU baseball. Maybe you've heard. So we're going to have to handle it on the road. You know, we're going to have to beat Missouri at their place, and that's proven to be a difficult place for us. But, you know, you look at this and say, okay, well, there's at least a couple wins out here, maybe three. But with these ladies, I don't ever count them out of anything. I think Doug Novak's done a great job kind of preparing them. So we're 15-8 and eight overall and 6-5 and five, uh, in the league. You begin to kind of ask yourself, you know, if we could find a way to finish 500 or better, I think we're a shoe in for the tournament. But looking at the, uh, the ladies' standing, South Carolina still just a juggernaut like we expected them to be, 11-1 in the league, Tennessee 10-2, and two, LSU 9-3. So an opportunity there. Uh, to play two teams that are definitely 
going to host when the NCAA tournament field is announced. Florida has now advanced their in-conference record to 8-3. and I thought we had a chance to get them. They got us, but they're a good team, and and that's a good quality loss for us. Of course, we split with Ole Miss. Arkansas is right there with us, too. Another opportunity to kind of handle some business there against a quality team that may make the field. And then behind us is Georgia, uh, Missouri, A&M, Kentucky, Alabama, Vanderbilt, and Auburn. So Kentucky and Missouri, two teams uh, beneath us in the standings. And, of course, those games are on the road, so we're going to have to bring a good effort. But if you can win those two and take down Arkansas and you finish with a three-and-two finish and the losses are to Tennessee and LSU, I don't think there's any question Mississippi State is in the field. May get in with a two-and-three record down the stretch. And then we'll see what happens in the SEC tournament. I don't know that anybody wants to see us on a neutral floor in the SEC tournament. I just my, Maybe my personal opinion. I, you know, maybe South Carolina doesn't care. Tennessee may not care either. But I think on a neutral floor, especially all these teams that are kind of similarly situated with us, I don't know that they want to see us on a neutral floor. And, you know, I think Doug Novak and his staff will do a good job preparing the team. Uh, but the reality of it is is that we are in a position I don't think many of us expected to be in at this point. But well, here we are. And all of a sudden, the women's basketball is fun again. And I, here's the thing, too. I go back to the standing ovation that you all gave the ladies after the Florida game. You want to talk about the difference between Mississippi State fans and a lot of other schools' fans, that's it right there. And a loss, and that's not to say that we're endorsing mediocrity, we're, we are recognizing effort. I've said many times before, and that was the, one of the bigger criticisms I had of this women's team last year, is, you know what, we understand losing is part of competition. We understand that. Yeah, in Mississippi State, especially in women's basketball, we have not had a great tradition up until recently. So we're kind of used to losing in women's basketball. You know, Vic told us, hey, you can win here, and kind of gave us a taste of some glorious success, and we're now we're hungry for some more. But the one thing that we won't put up with is a lack of effort. We recognize effort, and to be honest with you, I think those ladies won that ball game yesterday, not just for themselves, but for all of those people that stood and cheered after the Florida game. It's like I think the message that was sent from the Mississippi State fan base is like, hey, we got you. We understand that you're trying. We understand that you're doing the best you can under some very difficult circumstances, had some injuries, uh, had the coach leave, had an assistant coach leave. You know, it's been there has been more adversity with this season than perhaps any other in recent memory in women's basketball, but yet these ladies are still out there fighting through adversity, representing this university with dignity and respect. And I think you guys recognize that, which is why it's so easy to cheer for them. And after the ball game yesterday, what do they do? It's the ladies out there thanking all of you. It's incredible. And I think when I think about what's next for women's basketball, and I know a lot of people out there want to see Doug Novak get the job, I'm not going to say that's totally out of the question. I still don't expect it. But what what if we go four and one down the stretch? And what if we win a game or two in the tournament? Well, now all of a sudden I'm kind of rethinking this thing. You know what I'm saying, Right. But I liken it in many respects to Gary Henderson and I. We had this discussion on Gene Spade's message board, and some people disagree, and that is okay. I don't get my feelings hurt because you disagree with me. I don't. Because I don't have the corner of the market on all the good ideas, right? And, and neither do you. I think a healthy discussion and a healthy dialogue is good for all of us. And so I respect your opinion, and I hope that you respect mine. And 
more times than not, you know, I've got some inside information. But the reality of it is, is, yeah, is Doug Novak a serious candidate? I don't know that he was three weeks ago. But he could make it awfully interesting. And again, I go back to the recruiting piece. That's that's the thing that gets me. It's okay. This is a this is a single solitary moment in time. So we're working through a season, you know, with players that were already here. Would he be able to assemble a staff that would be able to replenish the roster? Don't know. Would the better course of action be for us to go hire a sitting head coach to bring in a complete staff to just take full ownership? I think so. But I don't think you can ignore what Doug Novak and these ladies are doing. And I don't even know if Doug wants the job. Maybe he does. I don't know. I haven't spoken with him. But if he didn't want it, I don't think he'd come out and tell us. But uh, the reality of it is, is Doug came here and is doing a job that he didn't sign on to do. You know, we talk about we talk about that one. You know, the uh, the self-loathing Mississippi State fan that wants to uh, find a way to defend those who defected from the program. You know, Doug Novak didn't sign on for this either. But what's he doing? He's making the best of a bad situation. And now all of a sudden, we're all standing up and taking notice. And so no matter if Doug gets a job or not, we owe a debt of gratitude to Doug Novak and the staff and, and uh, you know, the way these ladies have responded. So is there a path to, be, to Doug to be the coach? Yeah, I think there is. I don't think that, that, is, uh, I don't think that is the likely situation today. Again, it might change a week from now. It might change two weeks from now. I think Doug is certainly making it interesting because how many of us, honestly, beginning of the year, when you found out that Nikki was gone and there was some hope this year that we would rebound that we had these great transfers coming in and then all of a sudden that she's leaving and we're like, oh, we're going to give Doug Novak the job. We didn't know anything about Doug. We said, well, this is a throwaway year. This is it. This is a throwaway year. At least we didn't have to have all these message board discussions about how Nikki needed to be fired, and this was a disappointment, and blah, 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 blah. I mean, if Nikki was coaching a team and they were playing like this right now, we'd say, hey, it's going to work out. But one of the things that I go back to is, like, it's so funny. There are some people that are so critical of John Cohen's hiring practices, and I'm not going to sit here and say that John's hit a 1,000. He absolutely hadn't. It's all a learning curve. You You learn from each search. No athletic director in the history of college athletics has been perfect with hires. Because one of the most difficult things to do in life is to predict future human performance. People say, yeah, well, Scott Strickland hired Vic Schaefer. That he did. He also hired Rick Ray. He did. He also hired Ben Howen. He did. You know, he said, well, you know, Greg Byrne had a great record. Yeah, maybe he did. He hired Dan Mullen. He hired John Cohen. You know that guy? And so it's, uh, it's a process, you know, it's just like any other thing. I mean, you know, people forget sometimes John was a baseball coach. And there were a lot of people that didn't expect John to get the job and didn't want John to have a job, didn't think he'd be able to handle, you know, the, the Title IX sports or non-revenue producing sports. And then we just put together the greatest season in the history of volleyball, right? Had a great turnaround last year in softball. We're fixing to really double down and, and build those ladies a uh, – a tremendous clubhouse experience that will hopefully improve our recruiting efforts there too. You know, but that was the thing I think John did a great job of during his, during his campaign to get the job. It's reaching out to those other coaches and kind of finding a way to build a relationship. Hey, what do you need? 
And look at what we've done. I mean, in the tenure, I, mean, I wrote about this a little bit yesterday on Gene's page, too. I mean, you know, we've, we've modernized Newell Grissom. Done a great job with News Park. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot out there. But the reality of it is, is when it comes to these basketball hires, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later in the show, too, you know, we need to get them right. We do. Because I think the bottom line is, it's like we understand, you know, that it's, it's an inexact process. But especially on the men's side, we're just kind of tired of being mediocre. And that dates back, you know, prior to Ben Howland. I mean, that dates back, you know, goodness, you know, 15, 16 years now. I mean, you know, we, we were, you know, back in 04, we won the SEC championship and we felt like that we were, we were well on our way. You know, those early 2000s Bulldog teams, we thought we could play with anybody in the country and we could. It's been a long time since we felt that way. As I said on the show a couple of days ago, you know, we've gone beyond hoping for the big win. We're just kind of hoping we don't have the embarrassing loss. And that's the definition of mediocrity. All right, let's jump into today's top 10 list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. I had lunch with Blair and his lovely family Saturday morning in Jackson before the book signing there at LaMurray. Always good to see Blair. He gave me a couple of clothes with Blair hoodies. So it'd be one for me and one for the kid who has, I think, two dozen hoodies now. It's, it's incredible. It really is. But here's the deal. It's not just a fancy logo. It's not just a website. And you can visit that place at close at C-L-O-S-E with Blair.com. And uh, Blair will get you going. Blair is a mortgage professional. It's a very complicated industry, and there are a lot of people out there, and they're kind of subprime lenders. They're going to hit you with huge fees that maybe that you don't have to pay. You know, sometimes our, our credit situation is not what we'd like it to be, and so we have to pay a little bit higher interest rate. But here's the deal. Blair's going to get you the best deal going. He'll get you the lowest fees he can. He'll get you the lowest interest rate you can. And a lot of that's dictated by the underwriting guidelines that are set on your credit worthiness and your ability to repay the loan. So visit him today at CloseTheBlair.com. But here's the deal. You could message him or you could text him or call him. And if you mention to him that you have heard about him on the boneyard, he is going to pay for your appraisal. It's about a five to six hundred dollar value. The phone number is 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. Closewithblair.com. Now's a good time to refi. And if you're looking for perhaps buying a home for the first time, maybe you know nothing about this process. Maybe it's the first time. Maybe you're a young professional saying, hey, I want to put some roots in the ground and buy a home and stop throwing away my money on an apartment or a condo that I'm basically renting. Uh, make an investment in your future by putting some money in a home, and uh, Blair can help you with every bit of that. Okay, today's top 10 list, our good buddy Gordon Griffin has sent a handful of lists in, and he had a very intriguing one. This one is the first one that kind of caught my attention. It's uh, interesting because it says, okay, Steve, give me a top 10 list of songs somewhat hit songs by people who were known for something other than being a musician i love the idea gordon and we're going to knock it out today now one of the things that i avoided is the disney movie type stuff like because there are a lot of actresses and actors that sung in some of those disney musicals that had some hits i didn't include that i mean i'm, I'm talking we're doing something out of our regular 
comfort zone, shall we say. Now, I didn't, there's no David Hasselhoff on the list, and no William Shatner, none of that stuff, none of that silly stuff. These are great songs. There is one song that's a little silly. It's, it's, a, it's not a cover, but it's uh, kind of um, it's kind of loosely based on an original song. But we'll get that a little bit later in the show. Or the list, shall we say. So there are a few honorable mentions I wanted to throw out here. So number one's Rick Springfield, right? Like Rick Springfield, yeah, he was on General Hospital before he was a uh, you know a rock music heartthrob, and we've done a Rick Springfield list. So I wanted to kind of tip of the cap to you. What was his name? Doctor Noel Webster, maybe. Not that I watched it. I just know that from trivia. Uh, but Rick Springfield, an American American rock icon in the early '80s. John Schneider, Bo Duke. I know that our friend uh, JCP, John Clark Packer, has a relationship with John. Uh, Bo Duke had some hits, had a, a, a singing career. Probably didn't have the hits as some other people did, but you know he had a big following. So as a result, there was kind of it was a nice transition for him, and uh, recorded several albums. He has made a go of that. And then Jasmine Guy, I remember her from a different world. You remember her? Yeah, Whitney, outstanding. She had a nice little run with some uh, radio R&B hits as well. So here's the top 10, though. This is the top 10, in my opinion, and it's all actors and, in one, and a couple comedians, if that gives it away. So number 10 on the list, and I wanted to do this one because I wanted to kind of throw an attaboy out there. Uh, the name of the band is Hollywood Vampires. And you say, well, Steve, who is that? Well, Johnny Depp is the rhythm guitar player in Hollywood Vampires. They have two albums out. The first one is essentially covers. The second one is mostly originals. That's off the album Rise. They do a great cover of uh, David Bowie's Heroes. Alice Cooper is the singer. And you've got some Jeff Beck in there and Joe Perry's in there. I mean, you've got Duff McKagan has played with the Hollywood Vampires. And so it's kind of a side project for those guys. And Johnny Depp, of all people, is involved with We Gotta Rise. Have you, have you ever watched What's Eating Gilbert Grape? It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I love that movie. Leonardo DiCaprio is phenomenal Is Arnie because the burger barn is coming. If you've never seen that movie, you owe it to yourself. You know, when my kids were uh, much younger, I turned him on to What's Eating Gilbert Grape too. It is an incredible movie. Uh, but We Gotta Rise from Hollywood Vampires, number 10 on the list. Number nine, kind of a departure from the the punk influence of We Gotta Rise is uh, Daydreaming by Tatiana Ali. And you say, well, Steve, who is that? It's Ashley Banks from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And you remember, she actually had a couple of singing parts in some episodes. And I'll be honest with you, I think she could have made a run at this if she had not just been an actor. I think she's talented enough that she could have made uh, a nice career as a R&B or slash radio top 40 artist. But Daydreaming by Tatiana Ali, Ashley Banks. She's really focused on her family now, but she's in a ton of movies too. Uh, number eight, and uh, I'm really proud of this young lady. I know, listen, she was kind of the punchline, you know, of several jokes that were really unfair. And as somebody who has, uh, you know, kind of been targeted for some of the same things and same reasons, I have uh, a lot of that sympathy, shall we say. I, I, I can empathize, shall we say, with Lindsay Lohan, because and not and not how public all that has been with her. Uh, it's really a sad story that it's kind of ended, though, 
in a very positive direction. As a matter of fact, she was in a Super Bowl commercial for Planet Fitness. And, you know, she really kind of pokes fun at, you know, her past, how the paparazzi are all upset and sad that she's not going out having a nightlife anymore. But, uh, you know, she had a song, too, where she kind of lashed out at her critics years ago called Rumors. And it's actually a really good dance pop type song. It's, uh, it's, it's a pretty cool song. Number one, uh, as someone that is in the same tribe as me in the uh, recovery, uh, I want to support her, but also, too, I just thought, you know, it's kind of timely considering that commercial came out yesterday, and she is rather uh, good-spirited about all that. So Rumors by Lindsay Lohan is your number eight song. Number seven, It's All I Need from Jack Wagner. I, I think this song actually might have gone to number one. Let's let's, let's check that together, shall we? Uh, wasn't he on Young and the Wrestles? I don't remember all that. Some of you that uh watch soap operas might be can uh you know correct all that i think that's right jack wagner i think it went number one let's check here together let's check here together all i need is the actually the name of the song released in 1984 let's see here according to wikipedia debut album was also all i need the, the song went to number one in Canada. It was uh, number one in Canada, number two on the U.S. Billboard 100. Went to number one on the U.S. Billboard Adult Contemporary and number two on the U.S. Catchbox Top two, uh, 100. So, hey, there you go. Good for you, Jack. Good for you. And, yeah, he was Frisco Jones on General Hospital and then eventually on the Bold and Beautiful in Melrose Place. What a charm life, Jack Wagner. We should all be so lucky. Number Seven on your list, all I need, Jack Wagner. Number six, a little more modern. Listen, if you guys have not watched the the remake of A Star is Born, I watched it years ago, you know, as a kid with Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson. It was fabulous. But I like the one with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga as well. It, um, I thought Bradley Cooper really did a great job. I was not surprised that Lady Gaga did a good job. I really thought that she would, that was well cast. Bradley Cooper really surprised me. He's a great actor, but I wondered how he would handle the musical aspect of it. And, of course, they have that great duet, Shallow, that was also a big hit on the radio. So Shallow from Bradley Cooper is number six. I watched The Hangover last week a couple times. Bradley Cooper is amazing, man. He really is. Number five on the list, and I'll be honest with you guys. I know some people are going to think, oh, that was kind of a novelty song. Guys, this was a great song. It's got that punchy chorus. Uh, it's sung by the lovely and ultra-talented Jennifer, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Some of you are going to think, oh, Steve, I forgot about this song, and you shouldn't have. It's How Do I Deal by Jennifer Love Hewitt, of course, who was everywhere. I mean, she was in TV, she was in movies, and uh, ultra-talented and really, really cool. And I love the song. I don't know who wrote it. I don't know who produced it. I know that she sang it exceptionally well. And I would never have known, oh, this is the girl from the movies. No, this is a great pop song. And I think the chorus is amazing. I think it's one of those things, too, where it's like you get into this new relationship and all of a sudden it gets you out of your comfort zone. How do I deal with all this? How do I figure this out? And I thought she was great. And uh, I wish she did more music. I really do. I, I think the people around her did a great job kind of packaging this song. I could make a case if you guys wouldn't, you know, take to social media and just rip me that this actually might be the best song 
of these actor and actresses songs. I'm just, I'm just laying it out there. Maybe I shouldn't differentiate. Maybe just actors is fine today. But I think Jennifer Love Hewitt could absolutely have made a go of it as an, as a pop singer or an alternative rock singer. She's got a very commercial look, as you know. But I thought she did a great job on this song. I don't know what anything else that she sang on. No clue whatsoever. But the song How Do I Deal by Jennifer Love Hewitt is number five. I absolutely love the song. I'd like to see somebody cover it today, maybe put more of a rock twist on it or bring her back. Jennifer, the DMs are open. Uh, number four. Now, this is the one I talked about. That is, It's a cover, but it's not technically a cover. The chorus is a cover. The verses are uniquely Sam Kennison. That's right, Sam Kennison, the, the minister turned offensive comedian. On his album, Have You Seen Me Lately, it closes out with his version of Wild Thing. You may have seen that video, Jessica Hahn, uh, you know, for the Jim Baker uh, scandal was in the video. Her and Sam had a thing for a while. And then C.C. DeVille from Poison actually played the guitar solo on it. There's a lot of rock stars in the video. But it's Wild Thing by Sam Kennison. I know some of you would say, well, Steve, you know, Sam said some offensive things. Yeah, didn't we all? Didn't we all? And I hope that we have all learned and, and matured from that. I don't know that I ever said anything quite as offensive as Sam Kennison. But Sam Kennison was this over-the-top, obnoxious, in-your-face comedian that died way too soon. Uh, but this, when they, when they came out with Wild Thing with Sam and all these uh, rock stars, it was kind of a cool thing. I hope you enjoy that. Number three. And here's the thing that's a little bit different, I guess. Sam was not taking himself too seriously. I think the next three people really were taking themselves seriously, which kind of makes it kind of unintended comedic value. That's not to say the songs aren't good. But I think Sam was kind of like, hey, I'm not really a rock singer. I'm a comedian. I'm just having fun with all this. And so that kind of comes through in the song. But number three... It's Sonny Crockett. That's right, Don Johnson. And this was a huge hit. And they had the videos everywhere on MTV. And Don Johnson from Miami Vice, it was such a huge, huge Miami Vice following out there. Everybody loved Miami Vice. When I was a kid, that was my favorite show. Like, they gave you a reason not to go out on Friday night to watch Miami Vice. And then we kind of learned how to, uh, you know, to set up a VCR and record that show, you know. Uh, but the reality of it is the song is actually really good. and People kind of laugh and joke about it. Uh, Don Johnson's heartbeat song actually was everywhere. And maybe it's because of the fact that uh, Don was so incredibly popular on, uh, on television. But when this thing came out, I think people thought it was going to be a joke. Well, it, it really wasn't a joke. Uh, the album went platinum. How about that in Canada? Platinum in Canada, and then went gold in the United States. And then back in those days, they weren't just handing out gold records in America. You had to actually go do it. It's not like, well, oh, they got 25 million streams, which can be manipulated at any time. But, but some kid actually went into a record store and bought over half a million of these albums. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, honestly, it is. And when you look at the fact that uh, this is a guy, too, that had kind of made it as an actor and was in many respects, uh, you know, kind of considered a sex symbol in America. And then he worked his way over to this thing. It's pretty crazy. And so looking at some of the numbers here too, I mean, it, like this is a worldwide thing. Australia, Austria, Belgium, Canada, Europe, 
Finland, Ireland, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway. It went to number five on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. Heartbeat from Don Johnson. Who knew, man? Okay, so number two, and some people may consider this number one. And I almost put it number one, but it's a little bit, a little bit too cheesy in part. The video especially, there's some guys in there with like an IZOD shirt on that are just so over-the-top ridiculous. I couldn't quite pull it off. But it's number two from Eddie Murphy. It's Party All the Time. Produced by Rick James. How about that? Rick James. And I was alive because I'm from the 1900s when this song came out. And it was phenomenal. I mean, like, I didn't, I didn't think Eddie Murphy could sing. Like, I'd heard him do the impressions, like, you know, during uh, Raw and Comedian. I'd heard him do those things. But I never thought, like, it was, like, a real thing. And then, lo and behold, he records this party all the time. And it was everywhere, too. Everybody wanted, well, I could come on the radio, like, that's Eddie Murphy. There's no way. No, that's Eddie Murphy. And then you'd wait for the DJ to say, okay, that's Eddie Murphy. And you couldn't believe it. So, number two, party all the time by Eddie Murphy. So, number one, you, you maybe already know. It's uh, She's Like the Wind from Patrick Swayze, God Rest His Soul. This was actually recorded for a, a role in Grandview, USA that he did. And uh, it ended up getting in Dirty Dancing soundtrack. And that was such a heartwarming movie that many people uh, saw themselves as baby and they were going to go away and get away from their oppressive family and hook up with the bad boy. They had this exciting life and it doesn't work out that way. You think it does. It's just a movie. Nobody really acts that way. Really, did. It'd be cute if they did, but they don't. But Dirty Dancing, an interesting movie to say the least. But um, She's Like the Wind was one of the best songs on that soundtrack of course the, probably the one that everybody remembers is i had the time of my life was probably the one that people remember the most but um great movie and patrick swayze one of america's finest actors had a huge hit which she's like to win and again it was kind of a worldwide phenomenon i think a lot of it too came from the you know the strength of the movie you know the movie itself kind of drove the song along and people just couldn't get enough of dirty dancing but here we go, just so you guys, again, kind of looking at this stuff, it is, it is crazy to see how this thing did. Uh, number one in Canada on the adult contemporary charts, went to number six in, in Australia, number four in Ireland, number one on the U.S. Billboard Hot Adult Contemporary Tracks, number three on the Billboard Hot 100, and number two in Cashbox. And Cashbox used to be a really big thing here in the United States. So... Again, I think a lot of it was the phenomenon of Dirty Dancing. But I think Patrick Swayze had really kind of matured himself into this kind of cultural phenomenon. He went from being kind of a supporting actor in some things, you know, because he was in uh, The Outsiders and he was in Red Dawn and a few other things. This was the one, I think, that made Patrick Swayze a superstar and people couldn't get enough. And so the next thing you know, She's Like the Wind is Everywhere. And it's a cool song, too. So there you go. Top 10. Thanks for the suggestion, Gordon Griffin. Said so top 10 songs by people that are known for doing something else. I think this is a good list, and I'm sure some of you will come up with something that I've forgotten. I, I didn't put any Jack Black. I didn't put any Adam Sandler. Um, I felt like these were probably a little more in line with what we're looking for. So there you go. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let me know. I'm on all forms of social media at Scout Steve R, or you could just hit Roy up directly at Dogmatic67. That's D A W G M A T. I see six, seven on Twitter and on Spotify 
and uh, be sure and keep up with those lists. And thanks to our good friend Izzy Mandelbaum for putting them on iTunes for us. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by the fine folks at Campus Bookmarch, standing man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. Every time I go in there, she hugs me. She may not hug you, but she will look nice and lovely and talented. She's wonderful. She runs the show downstairs. The latest in Mississippi State merch, always available at Campus Bookmark. Go in and see them. They have all five of my books, too. So maybe if you're looking to buy a new hoodie, you can buy a book from them, too. I always like to shop local when I can. always do. I have spent, I don't know how much money in that store. Anytime that I need Mississippi State gifts or merchandise for myself or friends or family, that's where I buy it. Campus Bookmart also has a great web presence. You can find them at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net. All right, I'm not going to break down this men's basketball game. I just want to give you my opinion of things. I told you guys when this decisive stretch started, this five-game stretch in the middle of the season, that this would be a defining stretch in our season, and it is not going well. We're now 14-10, and 5-6. and six. We've lost three in a row. We're now 0-6 on the road. Again, back-to-back games where similar issues pop up. You know, the LSU game, eerily reminiscent of what we saw against Florida and Arkansas. Very, very disappointing. You know, Tennessee was a little bit of a different deal, I guess, in some respects. But, you know, we're in these games, and then we just can't find a way to close. And that has been one of those things all year, with, you know, with rare exception. You know, we did a good job against Alabama, and, of course, we forced Kentucky into overtime. So at times that we've shown that we've had some real toughness, but we lose this ball game 69-65. The final four minutes always seems to be kind of the defining stretch for us. And a lot of times that boils down to execution and X and O's. You know, it's, we say, well, you know, the guy's not missing the shots. And, you know, I get it. But the reality of it is we pay people to win. It's that simple. We pay people to win. So four minutes and 22 seconds to go. <laughs> um, 59-50 LSU after a made free throw from Eric Gaines. 59-50 uh, we get back in at 410. We're down just seven. And you think, okay, here's this decisive stretch. Uh, can we really carve into the lead? With two minutes to go, we're down just six, and we give up a big three to Darius Days that pushes it back out to nine. At that point, it's academic. We get a layup in the paint uh, to cut it to seven. We get it down to as few as five with a minute to go and then give up a transition basket. You know, basically they break the press and Tari Eason – uh, goes Michael Jordan on us and, uh, you know, basically heaves it home. 67-63 with 24 seconds to go. We end up having to foul. They make their free throws, and ultimately we lose 69-65. But, again, you know, you go back and you look here. You go back to the four-minute mark. Remember, you know, it's it's 59-50 right at four minutes or 59-51. And then you look at the final four minutes, you know, we made it kind of a competitive game, but we just simply couldn't get stops. And every time that seems to be the case with us, it's like, well, we can get out there and run with people for a while, but when it gets to be closing time, other teams find a way to get it done, and we don't. 
So here is what's left, you know, for the men. And uh, we are not currently in the projections, nor do we deserve to be. I'm not going to sit here and make a case because we're a pretty mediocre team. I have felt all year that we have a real chance to be a tournament team. I believe this stretch here that began with a home date against South Carolina. You know, we got punched in the mouth by Texas Tech, and we said, hey, you know, that's they're better than us, right? That was a defining stretch, too. You know, we knew that was going to be difficult without Tolu. You know, we lost Tolu late in that old Miss game after we embarrassed those guys 78-60. We lose those two against top 15 teams, which, okay, that's, that's behind us now. And so now we have a stretch to, to compete against some teams that are kind of similarly situated. A five-game stretch that I really believe would define the season. We're currently one in three with a road date this Wednesday at Alabama. We've had a tough time winning over there. Avery Johnson gave us trouble over there. Nate Oates gives us trouble over there. That has been kind of a house of horrors for us. That's Coleman Coliseum on the Alabama campus there in Tuscaloosa. Then we've got back-to-back games against Missouri beginning Friday. We'll play at our place Friday. Then we go to Missouri. I don't know if you guys saw, but uh, Missouri put it on Ole Miss over the weekend. It is tough to beat any team two times in three days unless you are decidedly better. And you could say, well, Steve, Missouri's had a rough year. They have. They fired their coach. They're in transition. But there's still a lot of talent on that roster. I think it's going to be a split. I really do. If I had to call it today, I think it's a split. And even if you win those games, I don't think it's enough to get you in the tournament. And that's what's going to happen, in, in my estimation, is it will likely lose the game to Alabama. And then we'll go on a pretty stra- pretty good stretch here against some teams that we should be able to defeat. And then put ourselves, uh, you know, maybe, maybe getting closer to 18 wins or so. Uh, but we're 14 and 10 right now. And so not in a good position and running out of quad one opportunities. That's where we are. It's like we're, we may stack up a few wins here down the stretch, but it's not going to be against teams that get us closer to the right side of the NCAA bubble. So let's say we lose to Alabama. I think at that point, you got to sweep Mizzou. You got to win at South Carolina. You got to beat Vanderbilt. And you got to beat A&M. I think, it's, I think it boils down to that. And then, and then that may not be enough in and of itself. But that's five more wins. You, and you add that to the ledger. You start thinking, okay, that makes you 19, but 19 and 12, and 10 and six, or 10 and 8 in the league. I think that that would at least keep you in the conversation. But again, that means this team's going to have to go undefeated against teams that it should win against. And we still have not won a game on the road. And you look at the numbers here, and uh, you got four games left on the road. Four of, what is it, seven? Four of seven left on the road. We're 0 and 6. So we're going to have to ask this team to do four, do four things that it hadn't done all year. We hadn't won a single road game, and we're expecting them to win four down a stretch just to keep us in the conversation. And so that leads you to this. Okay, so what does that mean for Mississippi State if we don't make the tournament? I don't think there's any question. If we don't make the tournament, we're going to see a coaching change. And I would also probably go as far as if we do sneak in the tournament and we don't win a game, that probably leads to a coaching change. Seven years without an NCAA tournament win is enough. And we talk about, well, you know, it's, you know, Ben's a good guy. There's no doubt he is. He shares many of our value systems. But this is not the Boy Scouts. We didn't hire him to be a troop leader for us. We hired him to go win basketball games. 
And that ultimately is usually what gets people. If there's not a scandal and there's, there's no reason to ever suspect there would be with Ben Howland, it boils down to wins and losses. And the bottom line is we're just not winning enough. We're simply not winning enough. And, you know, if, if we in, in the year with a 10-8 and 8 record in the league, you know, and you get 18 wins and all of a sudden you start thinking, okay, well, are we trending in the right direction? Well, much of this roster is going to be gone after, next, after this year. So do you give him another year? How do you handle that? You know, that's kind of where we are. But the bottom line is if we don't make the tournament, I think it is beyond question that we're going to make a coaching change. I think we're done with being mediocre. Now, where do we go from there? You know, do we go out and get an up-and-comer? Do we get the G5 guy that maybe has an offensive system that puts people in the seats? I don't know. Or do we go get the proven guy? Some people have suggested Rick Pitino. I think his age is probably a little bit of a factor. and I don't mean that he can't get it done. It's just you're probably looking to hire a coach again in a couple of years. I mean, how many, how many years left does Rick Pitino have? Had a pretty good year at Iona. Do you go get Rick? Do you go get Sean Miller? I don't know. I think you have to go out there and push the envelope a little bit, though. I believe that'll be the case. Now, now, here's the deal, too. Like, some people have brought Sean Miller up on the message board over at jeanspage.com, and some people have even made their AVI, which is their profile picture, a picture of Sean Miller. They want Sean Miller because people are ready to win. Now, let's say that we call Sean Miller and we begin our due diligence and we find out that they're Maybe there's some NCAA issues. You know, he left Arizona and uh, not under the best of circumstances. So that would require some research to ensure that, you know, you're not hiring a guy that maybe gets facing a show cause or whatever. I have no idea how things look there. But I think you at least have to make that phone call, and I feel confident that it will be made. And then we'll see. I don't think we have to just go out there and say, okay, let's go get a retread or an up-and-comer. I think we can go get a guy that's proven that maybe still has some, some years left. I mean, when we look at what – you know, we go get Ben Howland. Ben Howland was retired. Ben had put together arguably a Hall of Fame career as a coach. But, you know, the offensive system that we're running is rather antiquated. And we've got a guy that a lot of people believe is going to be drafted, and that's Iverson Molinar. Is he a first-rounder? Probably not. Probably a second-rounder. But he could be a guy that's, that, that sneaks into the first round. He's got to show that he can handle pressure, though. There are a lot of times that people make him handle the basketball and he turns it over. But the reality of it is, is that we are not getting it done. Now, all year long, I have been fairly positive about this team. I still believe we have the talent to go out there and compete with just about anybody on any given night. It's rare that we see our team kind of get dominated physically like we did against Texas Tech. And I still think uh, they're a very trendy team. They could be a dark horse team that makes the Final Four. They've got some very, very talented players that have some real size and length. Uh, we'll see how things progress with them. But the reality of it is, is that they made us look, in many respects, kind of, you remember in middle school when they used to have the coaches versus the kids game? That's how it looked. They physically dominated us. They did whatever they wanted to do. They bullied us around. And we didn't handle it well. And some of that is from a physicality standpoint. But the bigger issue is a mental standpoint. And I hate to draw these parallels, but if our men played with the same conviction as our ladies, there would be a no-doubt tournament team. It's a very talented team. And I don't know if perhaps the moment gets too big for us down the stretch. Maybe we're scared to win. You know, I can't count how many times in that ball game against LSU we couldn't handle the basketball. 
you know, we make an entry-level pass down to Garrison Brooks or Tolu Smith, and we're fumbling it around down on the floor. That's a fundamental element of basketball, being able to receive a pass and get ourselves in a position to shoot. But we couldn't handle the basketball. How many times do we get out in the open floor and pressure gets to us, we turn the basketball over? It's like sometimes these people roll out a 1-3-1, uh, you know, press, and we don't know how to handle it. We've seen it for years and years and years. Ole Miss and Kermit Davis and even Andy Kennedy, they ran that against us to perfection, and we act like we don't know what to do. And I go back to the game yesterday against Ole Miss, and granted, it's a little different situation. But our ladies look so prepared to handle Ole Miss's pressure. And what, what do we do? We beat the press and get an easy basket. On the men's side, we seem to be incapable or unwilling to do that. Is that coaching? What are we doing to kind of inspire confidence among them when they see these situations? We tend to panic. And I don't know what's next. I mean, it's like one consistency with this team and really with this program is that we have a very difficult time winning games we're not, exposed, we're not expected to win. We have a difficult time winning toss-up games. Now, we can handle – many of the games that we're expected to win. And sometimes we lose those too, like the big loss to Vanderbilt uh, last year. It was an embarrassing loss. And so are we getting better? Are we getting worse? Are we staying the same? If we're staying the same, it means you're falling behind. You look at what Auburn has done. You look at what Arkansas is doing. We could say look at what Ole Miss is doing, but they've kind of fallen on hard times too. And so, you know, now it's probably a good time for us to make a change in that respect. Those are the things that I think about. It's like, okay, it's not just where we are. It's what's happening around us in our neighborhood. Those are the things that really stand out to me. We are falling farther behind. And this is the team I fully feel like is capable of playing better than the record indicates. That's not to say we can't make a run in the SEC tournament. But what evidence is there at this point to suggest that we will? It wasn't long ago we were fourth in the SEC. Now we're in the second half. We're in the lower half of the conference. Auburn, of course, number one, 11 and one. Kentucky, 10 and two. Tennessee, nine and three. We lost to them. Uh, we lost to Kentucky. We split with Arkansas, who's eight and four. We lose to LSU, who's six and six. We did beat Alabama, six and six. We lose to Florida, six and six. So every team ahead of us that we've played in the SEC standings, we got one win against those teams. You look at the teams that are beneath us. South Carolina, we got a win over them. Hopefully, we'll get a second one. Vanderbilt, we haven't played them yet. Hopefully, we'll get them. We have two coming up with Missouri. A&M, we played them in the regular season finale. They're 4-8 and eight in the league and 15-10 and 10 overall. We split with a really bad old Miss team who's 3-9 and 12-13 and and overall. And we beat Georgia, who's 1-11, 6-19. And, and, and so, that's the, the problem that we have. The hill that we have to climb is the teams that are ahead of us have already beaten us. We have one, two possibilities to get another quad one win. What is it, Alabama and Auburn? The number one team in the country and a team that usually has our number in their gym. And then we play a bunch of teams behind us. Well, that beating those teams beneath us is not going to improve our tournament resume. That's the problem that we have. If you look at this schedule and you say, who is Mississippi State's best win? Well, right now, it's a home win against Alabama. But that's all we can hang our hat on. And this isn't a great Alabama team. It was 6-6 six and six in the league and 16-9 and nine overall. You know, they're, they're basically a game and a half better than us. 
So we're running out of opportunities to prove that we deserve to be in the NCAA tournament. And if we don't, I think it's pretty much a given that we're not going to we're going to make a coaching change. We will. I do not believe we will go forward without making the NCAA tournament. And I don't know if that's enough. I think we got to win a game. I don't think it's just as simple. It's okay. We made it back to the tournament. You know, it's not about a season, and it's not about next season. It's about the current trajectory of the program. And we're about to spend Northwood or $50 million to renovate the facility to make you guys have a much better fan experience. Well, we got to improve the quality of the product on the floor in addition to that. Final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. You know your good friend, Brooks Bryan. He's my friend, your friend. He's everybody's friend. Doing a great job bringing a great residential development to Starkville, part of a great group of individuals that have really invested a lot of time, effort into getting this thing handled. Portico, very easy to find, just 1.1 miles from the Mississippi State campus. Turn off of 82 on the 12, take the very first right. That's Pat Station Road, that'll take you to Portico. You got that neighborhood market there too, makes it easy, you know, for convenience sake. And all your friends are going to want to come stay with you. Maybe it's your ball game weekend retreat. Maybe it becomes your primary residence. Maybe it's your retirement home. You can have some say in how that home is built. Phase two now under construction. Phase one completely sold out. Phase two, you can still pick out your lot and have a say in your uh, house plans. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home. Go three, three, four, and four, all the way up to a four-bedroom home. Give Brooks a call. He'll give you more information. Brooks, of course, wore the M over S. Still wears it today. Takes a lot of pride in being a Bulldog, as well he should. Uh, Brooks wore the uniform and, and represented Mississippi State very, very well. He's very, very committed to Starkville and Mississippi State. Uh, Brooks' phone number is 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. I've shared with you before, if I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico, just for the convenience of being that close to campus, and it's on the quiet side of campus. Make Portico your next move. All right, let's talk some SEC West baseball. Uh, I venture to say that nobody saw more SEC baseball in person the last couple of years than I did. Uh, I go on the road. I see a lot of teams. I like a lot of teams. There are other teams, you know, that are missing some pieces. I think the SEC West is really a battle of four teams. You know, last year you knew that it was going to be uh, Arkansas State and Ole Miss in many respects. LSU, some people uh, expected them to be maybe better than they were. They they had some offensive pieces, but pitching-wise, they were a little bit shaky, especially when you lose Xavier Hill, a guy who was expected to be a first-rounder. Uh, you hate to see a guy like that with that kind of potential have a season-ending injury. You hate it for anybody, but especially a guy with that type of future ahead of him. Uh, but LSU is going to be better this year. Now, I am not as bullish on some teams – as some other people are. I'm not selling subscriptions to this show. So I'm just going to give you my opinion. Uh, The number seven team in the West, in my mind, is Auburn. Auburn was really kind of built to win last year, and they didn't. They ended up up beating A&M out to stay out of the cellar. But uh, Auburn, of course, uh, you know, you you had a couple pitchers last year that were expected to be, you know, big-time guys. They had injuries in fall camp, and that lingered into the season. And Butch and those guys really struggled to put a good pitching product on the mound. And that is a rarity for Butch Thompson. That's always kind of been his strength, is being able to get the most out of his guys. Now, we'll see what happens this year. Uh, They got a couple guys, too, that I I think have a chance to put together some big numbers for them because I think this is what it's going to boil down for Auburn. 
it's going to boil down to pitching. And I think when you look at you know what they had last year, what they've got returning, there's not a lot you look at and say, hey, this is going to be great for us. You know, Ryan Bliss is gone, who I think was absolutely outstanding. Loved him at shortstop, a great athlete, and uh, got to had some pop in the bat too. Hit 15 home runs a year ago for them. And, um, you know, I mean, it was kind of the heart and soul of that team. I had a chance to meet his family. Uh, originally from Meridian. How about that? Spent a lot of time going over to watch the Bulldogs play over in Trustmark Park. So, uh, you know, so he's gone. But uh, the reality of it is I don't think this is going to be a great offensive team. Could it be a good offensive team? Uh, yeah, probably so. But it's going to boil down to pitching. And this is going to be a very, very, very offensive league this year. I think the guy you look at, you know, a guy that could potentially be a guy that takes a big jump this year, and the scouts really like him, is Hayden Mullins, a left-handed pitcher. Uh, 2-0 and last year, seven appearances, worked mainly in relief, 11.1 uh, innings pitch, a 2.38 ERA, which was second best on the team behind only Blake uh, Burkhalter. But, you know, Hayden's going to have to be a guy that does some things for them. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, you know, we mentioned, uh, you know, some guys are they lost. That's Richard Fitz and, you know, and Jack Owens. I mean, those guys, Jack Owen, those guys have, have moved on. Uh, Mason Barnett is another guy that needs to make a jump this year. I played a good bet last year for them. 6'1", 205 pounds. Uh, made six starts for them last year. Posted a 2-4 and four record. Had a 5.40 ERA. Another guy the scouts really like, you know, got the big major league frame. A guy that is a big punch-out guy, too. Uh, control is a part of it, too. You know, control is a big issue. You know, and that, and that was the issue last year. That's kind of the book on him is that, you know, when he's on, he's pretty good. 43 Ks and 21 walks. The 21 walks were a team high for him. So he's got to do better with that. Also had the, you know, kind of the propensity to give up the extra base hit, nine doubles and three home runs. Uh, the, the, the doubles were, you know, problematic in some respects. But, um, you know, you got to keep people in the ballpark. You know, you had a handful of guys to give up, you know, double-digit home runs last year, but he was next to last on the team, um, you know, among the notables with ERA. So if he can keep you in the ballpark and not walk people, and that's really what kind of drove the ERA up is that he, he had a problem keeping people off the base pass, and then when they got hits, he gave up runs. But I think there's a lot of question marks with his team. There's not a guy you look at and say, okay, we can build a staff around this guy. You know, Cody Greenhill, of course, is gone. I mean, they, they had some veterans on this team last year that you expected to really uh, do a good job that didn't do a good job for one reason or another. The number six team in my mind is the Texas A&M Aggies. Now, I commend Ross Bjork uh, for going out and getting Nagel. That's a guy that uh, was probably ready to make a jump. And it's also, too, it's kind of some gamesmanship if you're A&M to go get, you know, TCU's coach. You know, Slosh is a guy that made TCU, you know, an NCAA tournament regular. I don't think there's any question that A&M should be better. And I've always said that A&M is the biggest underachieving team in the SEC. There's no question about that. I mean, it is, it is remarkable when you think about their recruiting footprint and their resources that they don't have – a better baseball program. You can say, well, Steve, surely they have. Guys, they have been to Omaha six times in their history and just two times this century. So in 22 years, 
They've been twice to the College World Series. The last time was in 2017. Their record in the College World Series is anemic. They rarely even win a game when they get up there. Of course, you know, uh, they smacked us around a little bit when they came down here in 2016 and swept us, and then we still ended up winning the SEC. You know, thanks, Rebels. Uh, But that was a really good team. It was an old team. But they haven't won a regional since 17. And you begin to kind of put that together, 18, 19, 20. Of course, it was canceled in 20, but 21. You know, so it's like you win a regional 15, 16, 17, and then you lose two of those three supers, and you begin to kind of ask, you know, what which direction are we heading here? And it's, you know, they win the SEC tournament back in 16, but since they joined the league, that is the only conference hardware they have to show for it. So uh, Slosh maybe will uh, will turn that thing around, but there's just something about A&M baseball that's just not quite right. Not exactly sure what that is, uh, but, you know, they're going to have to figure it out. That, that's the thing, and I think that's what Ross Bjork does, is you go out and get the proven guy to bring some consistency uh, to this program. They've got some guys, too, that uh, they've got some offensive pieces to kind of work with. You know, we saw that last year. They were a veteran team last year when they came down here, which doesn't really bode well, I guess, when you're kind of looking forward, when you begin to think about all that stuff. You know, Ray Alejo killed us when he was here. He was a grad transfer. Uh, but the guy that I think that you're going to, you know, is, um, you know, Logan Britt, center fielder for them, hit 270 last year, 137 ABs, had five dingers and 20 ribbies. He's a guy that a lot of the scouts really like. They're expecting him uh, to make a jump uh, this year. Now, pitching. And that's the thing, too. You go down and, this, you know, you begin to look at what they have come, kind of coming back. And the, the answer to that question is not much. Not much is expected back. Uh, Micah Dallas is a guy that they're going to need uh, to do some big things for them. You know, that, that's another guy, too, that, you know, that the scouts are really high on him. But this is a very unforgiving league. And Dallas makes the move over from Texas Tech. You know, this is a, so you're having to kind of depend on a transfer to come in here and kind of shore up things. You know, he, and he pitched, you know, uh, you know, for the Red Raiders. You know, which is another great program. I'm a huge Timmy Tadlock fan. I think the guy is an outstanding coach. Probably is undervalued in many respects. Uh, but you know, he he was a guy that put some numbers up last year. You know, for Tech, 66.2 innings. You know, so this is a guy that's uh, you know, got some things together. Had a couple of games where he pitched into the seventh inning. Had a big game against Baylor. Seven innings pitched, ten strikeouts, no walks. So he is a guy that they'll expect to kind of come in there and do some things. You know, for them. But I just think it's probably too much too soon uh, to expect A&M to make a big run this year, especially when you consider how great the rest of this league is going to be on the west side. And so my number five team, and maybe I'm a little more bullish on these guys than some other team, uh, than other people are. I think Alabama, Alabama made the tournament last year. It didn't work out for them, but uh, they're going to be a little bit better this year. Uh, I The 32 and 26 last year, finished 12 and 17, but, you know, it worked out pretty well for them, you know, when you begin to kind of break down the RPI or the net, whatever you want to call it these days. They returned some pieces. Now, Sam Prater was a monster, you know, for them, and uh, best of luck to you, Sam. The guy that I think will probably carry them was actually their leading hitter a year ago, and that's their baseman, Zane Denton. Uh, Hit 308 last year, uh, 10 dingers, 40 ribbies. A guy that gets on base, too. You know, just one of these guys, too, that uh, you can kind of build an offense around. 
he's going to have to play well for them. I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, the big question, I think, in many respects, is going to really boil down to pitching. You know, Connor Prelop is a guy that Prelop was – everybody was all excited about him. He's at Tumble, Wisconsin, expected to be an absolute star for them. Didn't pitch. Was it seven innings last year? That's it. Just wasn't ready to go. You know, maybe they finally get him going this year. Just not exactly sure. You know, I remember last year, you know, we saw uh, Dylan Smith, and that was the guy that couldn't get anybody out. But, you know, pitching was kind of their undoing last year. You know, then they didn't have anybody on the back end to kind of close games out for them. And that's going to be the challenge for them this year, especially as offensive as the league is going to be. Can Alabama win a slugfest? I don't know that they can, and I don't know that they have the pitching to consistently be. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort, so no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The teams in the upper echelon uh, in the league. Okay, number four, 
and I know this is going to raise some eyebrows, and I'm perfectly okay with that. I got Ole Miss number four. You can say, well, Steve, some people picked them to win the league, and the only thing I can guess is somebody you know bought a round of drinks or something. Ole Miss, pitching-wise, that's the question mark. Now, Ole Miss offensively is going to be outstanding, as they should be. This is a team that should be really good defensively. The pitching is not just a concern. It is a huge, huge concern. Those are the things you look at. Now, my favorite player on the Ole Miss side of things, and you say, Steve, I can't believe it. Yeah, it's Jacob Gonzalez. That guy is really, really good. His, he has a major league makeup. The guy's a very good defender. You know, 355 last year for them. Uh, really hope that he comes out and uh, has a good, a good year that comes up short of Omaha, and then he goes in the draft. That guy is really, really talented. Hit 12 bombs last year, 55 RBI. Uh, Kevin Graham is the guy they got back. I don't think he is a great defensive player, but he's a great mistake hitter. That's the thing with him. You make a mistake with him, he's going to make you pay for it. Uh, Justin Bench, no relation to Johnny, as I noted in Dogpile the Book. Also, he's the guy that's uh, back. TJ McCants is the guy people are really excited about. Not a shortstop, an outfielder, but, uh, you know, this is all going to boil down to Hayden Dunhurst, who arguably one of the best defensive catchers in the country not just in the West, not just in the SEC. The guy's really, really good. He's really, really good. And uh, he's a guy that's kind of up and down at times as a hitter, but another good receiver and a guy that makes good contact. He doesn't strike out a whole lot. Um, you know, 54 punch outs for him, which is considering he's a catcher, that's that's pretty strong. Um, probably got to cut down on us just a little bit, but uh, a tough out for them. But Tim Elko, I mean, that's the guy right there that, uh, you know, kind of a remarkable story last year. You know, tears his ACL and kind of a midweek laugher of a ball game, worked his way back, DHs a little bit, uh, couldn't run, elects to come back rather than go in the draft. And so there are a lot of pieces on this team offensively that scare you. They're going to be really good one through nine. The question's going to boil down to pitching. I mean, honestly, I mean, people say, well, you know, We've got all this offense. Well, what's going to happen when you run into, you know, a Friday night guy and you're trotting somebody out there that's basically a Sunday caliber guy? You know, so Ole Miss, I think, needs to, to kind of be in these slugfests. They need to have these, you know, Sunday softball, church league type scores. But you don't have Nikhazy. You don't have Gunnar Hogland. Um, and you've got some guys in the pen that need to step up. And, of course, Derek Diamond's a guy that – it pitched a lot for them last year, but, you know, really wasn't very effective. You know, he had a, a decent ball game against us in the Sunday game, and then we, you know, we, we got into that bullpen and put those guys away. But Derek Diamond's a guy that's had chronic back issues. Uh, 14 starts last year, 5.26 ERA. We'll see how things, uh, you know, progress. But this offensive team from Ole Miss should be outstanding. But what are you going to do pitching-wise? That's going to be the issue. And, and honest, let's be honest. You look around that team last year, and there's nobody in that bullpen you looked at and said, okay, this guy really scares me. You know, Broadway, of course, uh, was outstanding for them at times last year, but uh, kind of up and down, but was the best they had to offer out of the bullpen, and down the stretch, he, he faded. So I think that that pitching staff at Ole Miss is really, really, really going to have some challenges. Maybe good to non-conference because I don't think it's going to matter as much, but they've got to use a non-conference to find some guys they can count on in SEC play. Number three, it's LSU. I've got LSU third. I like this team. 
I like Jay Johnson. That's one thing we think about, too. We always talk about, you know, coaching wins late in every sport. Jay Johnson just made the SEC West better. Paul Maneri, a great coach, too. But Jay is the guy that's got a little more of an edge to him. They're going to bring a different brand of baseball. They're going to get back at trying to be LSU. And that's really what Scott Woodard has done there. I mean, you look look at what the track record. You go get Kim Mulkey from Baylor. You go get Brian Kelly from Notre Dame. You go get Jay Johnson from Arizona. I submit to you that Jay Johnson's on the same level of those people. Maybe you're not as familiar with him, but guy's an outstanding coach. They're going to bring a different attitude, and they're going to get to play a lot of games in that Cracker Jack ballpark they call Alex Box. It's basically a glorified softball field, uh, you know, with some minor league placards out there on the outfield wall. So they're going to hit a ton of home runs. You remember we went down there and played them. I think they led the nation at the time in home runs. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, Jacob Berry is considered by many to be the top positional prospect in the SEC this year. He's a guy that can really swing it. And then, of course, Dylan Cruz, a guy that uh, really came to college baseball because he wanted to play college baseball. He really has nothing to prove as a prospect. He's a dude. He's a guy that has a real chance uh, to make some big things happen for them. You know, where where they're going to be, you know, where they're going to be pitching-wise is going to kind of determine how this is all going to shake loose for them. You know, Kay Doty, of course, is back. And it seems like uh, Giovanni uh, DiGiacomo has been there forever and a day. It, it seems like it's just time for him to kind of move on. But um, but he's still there. Uh, Gavin Dugas still there. Redshirt Jr. plays in the outfield. I mean, I mean, there's so many of these names that we know and guys that we're familiar with. Um, but, you know, the reality of it is is pitching. You know, it's where is LSU going to be from pitching standpoint? What kind of team are they going to be on the road? What are they going to do when it's time to go into somebody else's yard and win a ball game? They're going to be very, very tough at home. What are they going to be like on the road? Trey Morgan, of course, uh, one of the better athletes in the SEC, probably could play a number of sports. Uh, very athletic, almost Andres Galarraga-like over there at times uh, when the ball's in the dirt. Guy's an incredible out, out, uh, infielder. But uh, this is a very veteran LSU team, you know, especially defensively and offensively. This team, they could conceivably win the SEC. It's going to boil down to scheduling. You know, Hayden Trevinsky's still there, Cade Beloso. I mean, it's like the names change sometimes, but not this year. you got a lot of the same guys back. Of course, that pitching staff – it's kind of been turned over. And that's going to, what again, what their season is going to boil down to is how well can they pitch and how well can they play on the road. I like this LSU team. I don't want to like them, but I do. And they've had some transfers come in that came in from Arizona. Guys that I think are going to be very, very good. I think the bottom line with them is going to boil down to is scheduling. How is the schedule you know, going to work for them? But don't, don't be surprised if they get off to a huge start. Next thing you know, they're ranked you know, number one, number two uh, in the country. I don't think there's any question. Now, this is a big question, right? Who's number one? Who's number two? We'll call it a Hummer pick if you want to. I got Arkansas number two. And again, a lot of this boils down to pitching. Arkansas lost a ton, but they return a lot of guys. Uh, you guys are, you know, familiar with Arkansas, and they were an older team last year that was kind of built to win last year. And in some ways, it, we reminded of the 89 Mississippi State team. We, I mean, it was like one of the best teams in our history. Well, then they retain a few pieces and go to Omaha in 90. 
I could see the same thing happening for Arkansas this year. You know, yeah, you, you returned some guys, but you lost a ton. I mean, you lose Christian Franklin. You know, you lose Brady Slavens, but you bring back Bob Moore. You lose Matt Goodhart, but you bring back Jalen Battles. And so you've got some pieces there that are very intriguing. But this was a veteran team. They lost a ton of offense last year, a ton. But I like them. I do. And, and here's one of the main reasons why. 30 and 8 at home. 30 and 8 at bomb. And you know, you know how that is. You know what it's like to go up there and play. They're going to play some very good series at their place. I think that's a bit of a separator. But you look at pitching, and then you lose Peyton Pallett for the year. And to be honest with you, if they had Pallett back, I might have even picked them number one in the West. Maybe. Maybe. But this is a team that lost a lot of pieces, but because Dave Horn is there, and as long as Dave Van Horn is there, they're going to be very, very good. Dave is a great evaluator of talent. He knows how to motivate and manage guys. Uh, this is a team that is very scary in their ballpark, and we have to go up there. And kind of looking at their SEC schedule, and again, I think this is where, you know, we got to go up there and win a game, at least. If we can win that series, we got a chance to win the whole thing. But, uh, you know, they open with Kentucky. This is SEC play. They open with Kentucky at their place. Go to Missouri. That's a great road win opportunity for them. They host us April Fool's weekend. Again, we got to go up there and avoid getting swept at the very least. We got to get a game. Then they go to Florida. I think that's big for us. A road series at Florida maybe allows for us to, to put a game up on them. They host LSU at their place, which I think is good for them because you don't want to play LSU down there at, uh, at the Cracker Jack box. They go to A&M, who I don't think is going to be a great team, but hopefully A&M can take, a, take one from them. They get Ole Miss at their place. That's a series win, folks. They go to Auburn. Again, should be a relatively easy road trip. They get Vanderbilt at their place. Then they go to Alabama. You should be able to win there. So my point being is like the real challenges they have outside of that road trip to Florida are going to be played right there in Fayetteville. It's tough to win in Fayetteville. Even when Arkansas is just above average, they're a great home team. So I, I like them better than Ole Miss. I like them better than LSU. But, again, it's going to boil down to pitching. I could see – honestly, I could see Arkansas being anywhere from first in the league or fifth in the league. So, number one, it's Mississippi State. And it's not just because we won an AFL championship. It's because I believe we returned the most pieces from a pitching and defensive and offensive standpoint. You can say, well, Steve, you know, we lost – basically the whole weekend. Yeah, we did. And let me remind you of this. We basically won a national championship last year with one and a half pitchers because we never consistently got two to three good outings on a weekend until we got into the postseason. You know, Will Bednar even had some up and down at times too. But Will was our most consistent guy throughout the year. So now you move Landon Sims to that role. And you remember Christian McLeod got off to a bumpy start. He had some big games, too. Don't get me wrong. Christian had some – I mean, I remember we went to Alabama. He was outstanding. Sarantola never really got on track. You know, first style was up and down. We, we go to Houston, Harding late. But he was kind of limited. He was the guy that could probably get you through the order, you know, a couple times. And so, you know, now when I begin to think about this team, I begin to think about, okay, Cade Smith, finally healthy, 
has had a good fall and a great spring. I expect him to make a jump. I think he will ultimately be a real factor on weekends. Preston Johnson, outstanding guy. He's the first guy to bullpen. If he stays in that role, that's fine. If he transitions into a Saturday situation, that's fine too. Jackson Fristo has electric stuff. You find the control with him and maybe turn up the mental toughness a little bit, you got something there. Andrew Walling, a guy that wants to be a starter, he's in the mix too. And that's the thing. I talked to Foxhall last week, and he goes, hey, it's just so competitive right now. This past weekend was going to kind of determine, you know, how we're going to do things. And, you know, we're not opposed to rolling one guy out there for three or four innings, bringing in another one for three or four innings, and letting this competition continue because you want to use a non-conference schedule to settle your pitching. And so here's what I'll tell you. Based on what is returning from a talent standpoint, from guys that have put together some good innings and have some real potential, I believe Mississippi State actually has the best pitching in the West. You can say, but Steve, no, no, but Steve, nothing. Landon Sims, future first-rounder, going to be going on Friday night. Cade Smith's the guy that in a regular draft probably would have been drafted two years ago. If he'd been healthy last year, he might have been really in the mix on Sundays. Now he's healthy. And so now we're kind of moving forward with those guys. Andrew Walling's a guy that turned down a major league draft to come to Mississippi State to prove that he could do it. And so you've also got the best pitching coach in America, in Scott Foxhall, at least top two or three. I think last year kind of proved that guy knows how to manage a staff. And when you read Dogpile, you're going to read – it's like it's incredible to think. We forget – we remember how we finished. We forget how we started. It's like, oh, we got this guy and that guy. Next thing you know, we were all excited about – you know, Aaron Fitz saying Eric Sarantola had the potential to be the first pick in the draft. He never got it together. Christian McLeod was a guy that, you know, was unhittable a year ago you know, in the abbreviated season. And so we thought he'd pick up where he left off. He didn't. But that's another guy, too, that, uh, you know, we were very excited. And what do you know? We go to Arlington, Texas, and neither Sarantola nor Bednar pitch. And you know, McLeod goes out and gives us a good effort against Texas. Then Landon Sims comes in the middle reliever, and we win that game. And you've got Hootie and Fristo that end up going to keep you in those ball games. And we should have gone 3-0 and in Arlington. We didn't. You know, you know, we have a, a base hit back, back up the middle for Drew McGowan that gets robbed and uh, ultimately ends the ball game. But, you know, we played a competitive brand of baseball, but we didn't sell our rotation. And people forget in the non-conference. You know, it's like, hey, we got to change this and change that. Let's just stick with Fristo and – you know, Fristo was part of a no-hitter. You know, people forget about all those things. And so we, we have some arms. But I think offensively, and I agree with Brad Compost, I think we're going to be better offensively this year, one through nine. Now, do you, how do you replace T.A. and Rowdy? Well, it's difficult. And honestly, I think it's more difficult to replace T.A. Uh, than it is Rowdy. Not to say that Rowdy didn't do a great job for us, but, you know, Rowdy at times was kind of up and down. The goggles thing, right? You know, T.A. was the guy that the big moment always seemed to find him, and then the ball always seemed to find his, found his bat. R.J. Yeager is the guy that I think is going to be a double-digit home run playing at second. You know, what happens out there in center field kind of remains to be seen. you got a way to get Hunter Hines some at-bats, get Slade Alford some at-bats. We're going to have more offensive pop in this lineup than we did a year ago. And I don't know that top to bottom that this league is going to be as pitching heavy as it was a year ago. You know, you don't have Tommy Mace. You don't have Kumar Rocker. You don't have Jack Leiter. You don't have Doug Casey. And so 
I don't think it's going to be the year of the Friday night starter. I think it's going to be the year of the offense in the SEC. And I think the team that has good pitching, and I don't even know that it has to be elite pitching, but I think a team that has good to great pitching is going to win, and that's where I believe Mississippi State has the biggest separator in the West is I think we're going to have better pitching. I think we're going to be on par with a lot of these teams offensively. And listen, I'll be honest, Ole Miss, LSU, Mississippi State, going to score a lot of runs this year. Florida, going to score a lot of runs this year. Vanderbilt, going to score some runs too. But this is going to be a big scoring league. And so when you have a team that can put some zeros on the scoreboard, you're going to win a lot of games. And I believe that's the difference between us and the rest of the teams in the West. So big surprise, Mississippi State picked first. And you, you may recall last year I told you guys that Arkansas was undervalued at number three. Remember that? People picked what Ole Miss to win, and we were second, and uh, Arkansas was third. And I told you I thought that that was wrong. It was. I like some of these Ole Miss pieces, but they don't have starting pitching. And we saw last year they didn't have a bullpen. LSU, ton of offensive pitches, offensive pieces, one or two pitchers. If they have some guys kind of come around, they could win the West, and they could win the whole thing. Arkansas pitching is going to be a big concern, but I think in their ballpark and the fact that they play so many games at Bomb Stadium and the schedule I think is very favorable for them, as we discussed. I think that's going to be the difference in them finishing second, first, second, third, fourth in the, in the league. I think they're a team that is so great in that ballpark that um, they have a chance to kind of make up for some pitching deficiencies. So there you go. That's how I see it. If I had to call it today, believe it or not, I actually would pick Florida to win the SEC because I think they get the benefit of playing on the lesser side of the league. And so I would say State's probably within a game or two of the SEC championship again this year, which would be good enough to get us a top eight national seed. We just got to stay healthy and settle the pitching rotation. Really long show today. I apologize for that. Uh, if you need books, go to dogpiledabook.com. you need Stark Villains gear, go to StarkVillains.com. If you hadn't got your book, uh, reach out to the website. They'll be happy to process that information for you. And we, we're going to get everybody taken care of. And there's a handful of you that still don't have your books. Uh, there's a big shipment that went out again today. I think there's only one order that hadn't been processed, and that came late last night. And I've got to go sign that book, and I'll do that tomorrow. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about. In your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit score grows, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans, like for a car or home. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Bill Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members of FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details.